Voice from the Void, a podcast about the space opera series Star Drifter. Welcome to the first episode of Voice from the Void. My name is David Collins Rivera, creator and writer of the Star Drifter series of novels and short stories. This is the podcast about the universe of Star Drifter, its history, its technology, and exactly what makes the galaxy of this future tick. We'll also go over the latest news, progress reports, and any upcoming events that might be in the offing. I'm going to try to put these out once a week, by and large, and as best I can. Each episode will cover a particular topic, so if you have any suggestions for things about what you'd like to hear, drop me a line. You can write to me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. And with all that out of the way, let's roll. Currently, there are three novels in the Star Drifter series, named Motherload, Street Candles, and Risk Analysis. There's also a collection of short stories, which I'm calling Tomorrow Tales. The fourth novel is named All He Surveys, and it's in the works. Now, these books center on a singular character named Ejok DeSantos, who is a professional gunner. Now, that's something worthy of an episode all its own, so I'll go over it in detail later, but... In essence, in this future, piracy out in the stars has been an issue. So much so that it is legal to arm commercial ships, merchant vessels. And as a result, an entire class or profession has arisen of professional gunners for civilian class vessels. They differ considerably from their military counterparts in that... The civilians aren't allowed to have the best weapons, the biggest guns, the nastiest missiles. They're not allowed to have any of that stuff. And all of that stuff is highly, highly restricted. It's very unlikely that the pirates would have access to that sort of weaponry. So they make do with civilian type of guns. And that means a civilian class gunner can face them. It takes training, but the laws are spotty. Some places require you have a certification, some places don't. So you end up with this situation where you could have someone who is an expert at this job, but it's a very, very particular job that doesn't really carry over into the rest of life very well. And that's part of the problem that EJOC has in getting work. Now, as I said, there are also short stories set in this universe. So far, I have 10 of them. Some of them are multi-part. These stories star different characters, all of them, but Ejok makes an appearance in each one. Now, I see the stories as offering a bit of context to the universe and for the reader to get a chance to see Ejok through someone else's eyes. In turn, this hopefully will lend a bit more understanding of him as a character in the novels. At the moment, I'm concentrating on book four, All He Surveys, and have really just started on it. As of this recording, I'm on Draft 1, Chapter 3. The word count right now is somewhere in and around 15,000. 
as I say, I'm only just starting, so, you know, don't ask for hints or teasers. Maybe next time, or maybe not next time, maybe some other time, or maybe not even then. We'll see. We'll see. Now, word count might not mean much to anyone but writers, but at least to give you something to measure it all by, when this book is finished, I hope to have a final word count of between 120 and 150,000 words. So I'm like, what, one hundredth of where I need to be or something like that. There's a long way to go. My goal for next week is an additional 12,000 words. We'll see how it goes, and I'll report my progress in episode two. Wish me luck. Today's feature is the setting of Star Drifter. But before I get into it, let me address one thing. While I'm the writer of Star Drifter, and this podcast is about Star Drifter, that doesn't necessarily make the spotlight features canon to the Star Drifter series. I have my own opinion about the relative value and function of canon in a series, and I'll go over that sometime. But right now, there's a practical reason why this is the case. I'm almost certainly going to have continuity slip-ups along the way. Accidents happen, and they happen to me a lot. Regard this podcast as what I think Star Drifter continuity is, as opposed to what I've actually published about it or will publish in the future. My outlines are a mess, my personal notes are a disaster, and my memory is worse than either one of those, so consider yourself warned. Okay, now then, Star Drifter. What time period is it set in? Well, the future, of course. But as to exactly when, I've left it deliberately vague. Now, the pros of doing it that way, cultural differences from our current time period are easier to portray this way because no real explanation is required. History is no big deal. It can be anything I want it to be. And tech differences are no big deal. That's also anything I want it to be. I believe, personally, I believe the hardest part of the future for people to accept are the cultural differences that are likely to arise. Even 20 years ago, the idea of gay marriage and legal marijuana use in the United States was unthinkable. Imagine what even the most idealistic and imaginative Victorian-era fans of the writing of Jules Verne would have had to say about interracial marriage, women's rights, and ethno-diversity in modern society. What about social security benefits or unemployment insurance? These are changes that we take for granted, which would have left those people baffled and even horrified. If I can portray these sorts of differences without giving a specific when it is that they become normal, then hopefully the reader won't be thinking, that'll never happen in X amount of years. In other words, it makes these changes more seamless. Instead of X amount of years, it's however many years. A subtle difference, which I believe makes a big difference. Now, that's on the plus side, but on the negative side, one of the cons is that it does make things seem vague. You know, it could be a hundred years from now, it could be a thousand years from now. Harder to imagine, maybe, for some people. A little harder to connect to, even. Um, If I had to choose, 
If I had to give you numbers, I would say probably four to five hundred years from now. But really, does it matter? Okay, where does it take place? Well, the entire setting of Star Drifter takes place within only a fraction of the Orion Arm, which is a small piece of our galaxy and where our solar system is located. Nonetheless, even this small part of this galaxy still comprises millions of stars. Now then, I don't have an exact timeline, as in this year this thing happened, and this is the person that invented that thing, or started this war, or did this or did that. I don't have that for you right now. Some of that stuff I will in later episodes when I feature different parts of the universe. But what I do have right now is the series of events. That is to say, the order in which they happened. Again, though, not the dates. I'll let you fill that in for now. We're going to start off. Artificial gravity, or AG, is discovered. Nearly every major technology change in this future is kind of predicated on this particular discovery. So, AG leads to Star Jump, and I will cover Star Jump in a future episode, but in the Star Drifter universe, it is the way that faster-than-light travel is executed. That's how you get from star to star in a reasonable amount of time. AG, later on, leads to much more efficient reaction drives. Again, I'll go over that in a future episode. But a reaction drive, at least in this universe, is a sublight sort of drive, but it's far, far more efficient than anything we have today. Star Jump leads to the Great Expansion. Once the ability to travel faster than light is achieved, people start moving out in all directions at the same time at an incredible rate. The Great Expansion is one name, there are others, and they'll crop up over time. Through the Great Expansion, humanity spreads out among the stars. A vast, dynamic empire is formed. It covers most of settled space. Now, bit by bit, Earth, or Terra, is looked down upon as a developing nation, might be viewed today by many Western nations. Few new advances or cultural influences come from Terra after a time. And we'll go into Terra in a future episode. It's actually pretty interesting the way things have progressed on Earth or not. Many space settlements become dissatisfied with this vast empire, while others never accepted it to begin with. So unrest becomes widely spread throughout settled space. You have Little skirmishes here, you have rebellions there, you have protests almost everywhere. It's becoming a real problem. It leads up to a war for independence and autonomy. Mass effect weapons, or MEWs, are used by all sides. Now, an MEW is distinguished from a weapon of mass destruction because while it can be used to destroy things, an MEW can also be used to just affect things in general, like devices that cause electromagnetic interference for a period of time. And that may cause a tremendous amount of damage to the infrastructure or even to human life if it's dropped on a city. But if you throw it at, say, an enemy fleet, it might only disable them for a time. It might hit a huge area at once, and therefore a mass effect weapon is a big, big deal. So, WMDs are MEWs, but not all MEWs are WMDs, if that makes any sense at all. Now, this war, it only lasts for a few months, but many millions of people are killed. 
the scale and relative ease of the carnage is shocking to all involved. So this is the first time that MEWs are unleashed whole scale in a war. The cost in lives is so appalling that it brings everybody to the negotiation table. A peace treaty is signed and a border between the empire and a new coalition is formed. So the old empire and the people that sided with the king and the queen and the empire and all that stuff, they are all on one side and they establish a set of star systems that are under their influence and this coalition is on the other side. Now, this war also causes instability within that empire. A combined force of different religious factions breaks away from the crown and a civil war ensues. It grinds on hot and cold for years and the ultimate body count is even higher than the original war, if you can imagine. It ends with the empire splitting in two and a new nation dedicated to religious freedom, often referred to as church space or the papal territories or God's country, is formed. Over across the border, the coalition of states that was formed by the First War is also falling into chaos due to a poor political structure, incompetent and corrupt leadership, and the economic and social impact of unchecked piracy on commercial shipping. Now, you remember I talked about piracy briefly and its effect on commercial gunnery. This is where it first starts. The coalition collapses under the influence of those pressures, and it's replaced by a new body called the Alliance of Independent Nations, or AIN, pronounced AIN. It's also known as the Alliance, AIN Space, and the Roar. And the Roar comes about because it's seen by many people outside it as being this cacophonous collection of voices. Because it's primarily structured like a representative democracy, and it can be very, very chaotic and slow to get anything done over there. At least that's a perception. Ain builds a powerful navy of warships and tasks it with stamping out piracy at all costs. This takes a long time, but eventually proves effective. And it is during this time that commercial gunnery arises. Later, several super corporations merge and form the Montero Group. Montero establishes company headquarters on a space station between settled star systems and sets up security along its borders. Due to taxation and policy disagreements with the governments of the other three nations, the Montero Group declares itself an independent governing body and forms corporate space. This happens without overt warfare since much of the economic stability of settled space is bound up in the assets owned by the Montero Group. Nobody wanted to mess with them or destabilize them or go to war because it was like shooting themselves in the foot. Very often you would have the same shipyards that would be making, say, Alliance warships those shipyards are actually owned by the Montero Group. So they're like an octopus. They have tentacles everywhere, and they don't want to fight with anybody. They just want to make money. Now, as it currently stands within the Star Drifter stories, AIN, Corporate Space, Church Space, and the Empire are the four major transstellar supernations in existence. Each of these will be featured in their own episode at some point. There are also dozens of smaller interstellar countries and independent colonies, and several hundred unaffiliated or undeclared nations. 
Now then, there may be double the number of people living in the so-called outer territories or frontier or frontier space than there are in the four major nations combined, but no one is really sure. Some even speculate that new unknown supernations are already forming out there. I'll do an episode on frontier space as well. Don't worry, we'll get to all this, but we're playing the long game here. And that's it for the timeline. We'll let it go there. There'll be other smaller events, bigger events, crazy events that will slot in as time goes on. But try to keep this in mind as we go along. So what's on for next time? Well, much of what happens in Star Drifter takes place within or spins around the politics and pressures of the Alliance of Independent Nations, or AIN. In episode two, we will delve into AIN space and learn exactly why the one thing it is not is predictable. See you then. You have been listening to Voice from the Void, a podcast about Star Drifter and the Star Drifter universe, written and hosted by David Collins Rivera. The theme music is a piece called Wicked Ways by Kilobyte. That's K-I-L-L-A-B-Y-T-E, featuring Danica Nadeau, and is available through No Copyright Sounds at ncs.io slash wickedwaysid. This podcast contains discussion about fictional works and characters and is not meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Voice from the Void is copyright 2018 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Thank you for listening. Take care. <laughs>